0: found on page 18, it is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 13, verses 1 to 18. Abram and Lot separate. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not herdsmen. stay together. After quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot, the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have quarrelling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, toward Zoah. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes, all you are, and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go. Walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks be-
1: Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these words, this, this story of Abraham's life with you and your life with him, and pray that as we, um, as we engage with it, as we read it, as we think about it, uh, you would be speaking to us about our lives with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story about a young executive who was well known for their enterprising but rather risky adventures. And one day, having pursued an opportunity just that little bit too far, they lost the company £2 million. Then, unsurprisingly, they found themselves in front of the boss, who wanted an explanation. And the young executive acknowledged that they had indeed overlooked policies and ignored cost-benefit analyses for the sake of keeping their reputation as a bit of a go-getter. The boss was not pleased. And as the meeting seemed to be drawing to a conclusion and trying to take the sting out of the inevitable situation, the young executive said, I suppose this means I'm fired. To which the boss replied, Fired? It's just cost me £2 million to teach a lesson you'll never forget. And there's a wonderful opportunity within our lives to rethink how we do things, and remind ourselves that there is a second chance often in life, and that God is somebody who gives second chances. So I want to look today at the difference those second chances can make. And if you've ever been in the situation when you know you've wrong, if the word carpet brings you out in sweats, then this story is for all of us, because certainly we all have. Let's have a look at this little story, get some orienting data first of all. Uh, Abraham has just been sent back out of Egypt by Pharaoh after he's attempted the Welshian uh, about his wife, and he's been booted back, though he has kept uh, the wealth that Pharaoh lavished on Abram, And what we find is that he makes his way back towards the Negev desert, but now we are reminded that he has Lot with him. That's important. Lot went down uh, to Egypt with him and actually lot will come out of Egypt with him but the important thing is that he goes to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar if you've got your Bibles open please have a look at that verse it's really quite uh, tricky and I had to spend quite some time on this this week because if you were reading this with friends or as I was reading it in preparation you find yourself hold on a minute That isn't the first altar that he built, is it? If you go back to chapter 12, verse 7, you'll find that actually his first altar he built was at somewhere called Moray, wasn't it? Verse 7, at Shechem. Sorry, verse 6, Moray at Shechem. So this is important. That's where God appeared to him. But what this verse says is that where he had first built an altar... And it's speaking about something wider there, because what the Hebrew is says, says is basically at the first, and what it's referring to is his first journey through Canaan. If you think about, oh, the first time I went there, the first time I went, you know, the first time I did that, this is what happened. So we're not conflicting with how many altars. We're thinking about Abram's first journey during which he built the altar at. Bethel and it's really important because the the altar at Moray near Shechem indicated was a memory of God appearing to him okay so he was marking this instance in my life and I remember when Richard led the all-age service he talked about it's important to keep track of those moments where God has appeared or helped you or dealt with you in some important way but we're not to get stuck there okay so by going back to the other altar by going to the one at Bethel he's signifying something different and the altar at Bethel is where he expressed his faith his belief that God would continue with him in this journey do you see the difference One is going back to memories past and living in them, and the other is saying, no, I need to reaffirm what I believe. I need to recover that relationship that I have lost. Back to recognition that he stepped outside of that promise and he's coming back to recover it. Hands up who's never had to do that. Well done, (laughs) one or two, that is awesome. Right, so. It's really helpful just to bear that in mind that what Abram is doing is seeking to restore his relationship with God, not recover a moment. Yes? Happy with that. And that's really important because it tells us about the importance of repentance, basically. What happens when we come to God and recognize who we are before him and what he's like instead. So he acknowledges his failures. Isn't that important? He's acknowledging his failure. There, he's he's got a little track record now. I like the way the Bible talks about him as a great man of faith, but as chapter twelve, second half of chapter twelve shows us, he was a little bit sketchy about one or two things and behaved in ways that perhaps were quite normal and human for us, and we have to grow uh, into that faith sometimes and learn to trust. And learn that when we break that trust with God, we need to return to Him, and that is, and is the significant part of this, these few verses here. And we need to be aware of that because when repentance is, it should be a when forming event in us, it should change us. When we repent of something, when we say to God, "I'm really sorry, I did that." We turn to him, we become, we should become aware of the gap, the difference between who we are and who he is. He is infinite, spirit, love, holy and a hundred other things and we are us and we're not like him and but the wonderful thing is that the gap may be enormous and it can show just how far from him we are but it also shows how far he will come to be with us. How, how deeply he loves us through his grace. He bridges that enormous gap. So how short and how far we've fallen is how far God is prepared to come to restore us. And it's not a bad thing then to stop now again in our life, particularly when we're in some sort of crisis or difficulty, and say, you know what, did I do that the right way? And reflect and remind ourselves, you know what, I didn't get it right. Sometimes we need to do that. I think sometimes we need to just acknowledge um, that we need to change. Otherwise, the gospel is something Dallas... I've said this before. Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. They keep repeating the same things all the time. Proverbs 26, vomit, regards a, a fool returning to their folly as a dog returning to its vomit. Do we do that, really? But that's the stark contrast. We should... Change and the first part of that is humility. The first part is, is that to say, you know what, I should not have done that, I should not have been there, I should not have, whatever it is, I should not have said that, I should have thought before I spoke. Maybe those were the wrong words to have chosen in the first place, and we have to, we need to recognize that. But it's a healthy and it's a good thing because we find. First of all, we find that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Though there is a day of reckoning to come, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. So our attitude towards repentance and saying sorry is something that can be good for us if we get it right. There's a lovely Jewish proverb that says, if a man is lost and hurries, he doesn't get where he wants to any quicker. He just gets lost over a much bigger area. You see, if we, if, but if we stop and if we actually take the moment to say, God, if you're with me, what should I be doing here? What's going on? Actually ask myself the question, recognize, is that God speaking or is somebody else going to be enjoying the conversation that I'm about to have? Is somebody else going to be delighting in me tipping into this? And I think you have to be aware of it to be able to discern. I think it probably takes less than five seconds to decide to carry on in a pathway that's sinful. We have to acknowledge it quite quickly and say, no, that would be wrong. When we're faced with choices, sometimes the wrong one can present itself really quickly. So it's good to recognize it and turn away quite quickly. Learn to discern. It's a gift of repentance, isn't it? Because we learn from God that wasn't good for you, it wasn't good for the person around you, and it's harmed our friendship. So repentance is a good thing for us. And what's interesting is the way it, 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 it changes Abram. I don't know if you saw this photo in the week. Can you see it? Can you work it out? I, I had to enlarge it. for. I, I thought some people may not be able to see clearly what's going on, but it won a, it won a wildlife photography award. We've got two mice fighting on a subway platform it's bizarre <laughs> but think about this abram has come out of egypt with all this wealth and he's come and he's got his nephew along lot who's just a youngster really what do they know and what happens is that this this humility this change in abram cascades into his life and the first place we see it is in his relationship with a Ab- with lot See, they're really wealthy. Egypt has blessed them uh, in order to send them on their way. But they're back in a land where, recovering or or still struggling with famine, we know that the Canaanites, if you look at verse 7, the Canaanites and Perizzites probably refer to two different sort of people groups. The Perizzites were probably kind of villagers and rural folk, and the Canaanites were sort of town dwellers or cities even then. So they were, So everything was occupied. You get the feeling that the place was crowded. There's a famine. There's people in the countryside looking for food. There's people in the cities looking for food. Where is, uh, where is Abram going to find food? Where, are his, uh, where is his entourage going to be able to look after themselves? And the remarkable thing that he does is he says to Lot in verse 8, well, let's not have any quarreling. Brilliant. There's a starting point, isn't it? Let's not fight over this. That's a great thing. Because he's starting to see a situation differently. He's also seeing the potential for it to go wrong. Okay? And one of the interesting things is that he could uh, resolve this in lots of different ways. And the question that they need to resolve is, are we going to be able to dwell together? You see that word dwell or stay together or live together? The word features five or six times in this chapter. And the question is partly, how is he going to live here? How is he going to live And the question is, can he live with Lot? And the deeper question is, how will he live with God, and how will God live with him? Can they dwell together? And interestingly, that humility puts Lot first. How often do we do that? Okay, no answers. But it's important, isn't it? Putting other people first. We live in a culture which is about I, I everything and putting other people first. And think about this from Abram's point of view. He is the older one. He is the wiser one. In any culture, he should be honoured. He is the family. He is the head, the remaining head of the household. He should be honoured. And he is the one with the most to lose, the most at stake. He should put himself first. And yet what he does is he says, Lot, what do you want to do? Let's not fight over this. The whole land's ahead of us. That's a statement of faith, isn't it? That's There's all this. Let's not. Let's put it in perspective. Let's think about what's really at stake here. And he, it's this lovely phrase in verse 9. Let's part company then. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you go to the right, I'll... I'll if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He offers Lot the choice, which means he's willing to accept the circumstances. That's humility. That's the humbleness that comes from, I've met with God, but I'm believing that he will do something. Because within our repentance, within our relationship with God, is a sense of expectation as well. I've come to him because he is good because he is good, I can come to him. Yes? That, that would be a nice little mantra. Put it on a T-shirt or on the fridge or the cookie jar, whichever you do most. But Abram is called to dwell in this land in a new way. Lot, by contrast, there's a little sting in the tail, isn't there? Lot, by contrast... Uh, chooses what looks easy he lifts up his eyes and he sees these wonderful land that the the land that looks like the garden of Eden see how often that resonates through the book of Genesis and chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and then headed out towards the east in fact what Lot does is he pitches his tent near the Sodom was he goes outside Canaan He's no longer in the land of promise anymore. He's been seduced. He's not seen or learned anything about a relationship with God. Lot, as we'll find out later, ends up in a lot of trouble. I didn't mean that. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I really do apologise. But it's a good title for a talk and that's it. <laughs> but he takes himself, he finds himself seduced towards this wonderful life and forgets the promises of the God that he's been walking with and has seen is faithful. So Lot stands as a lesson for us all. And then Abram moves on to Canaan. The Lord said, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Same thing, what Abram had offered to Lot God now speaks to Abram. Lift up your eyes. And we see this land. This is, this is the place of promise. This is the place of blessing. Lots moved on, but you lift up your eyes and see the things that I have for you here. You remember the promises that I have for you here. Reminding him of what he would fulfill through Abram. There's no sign of it yet. But he will fulfill it through him that's the story that we work out and it's I find this and I find this really fascinating because all the time that Abram builds these altars and all the time he's calling on the Lord he is a public witness in the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites to a different God who's doing things differently and Abram will be the witness and the evidence of that and I find that quite challenging actually how much do we call on the Lord? How much do we rely on his promises? How much do we stick to the things he's told us? How expectant are we of the things that, he, that may happen? Not preempting it, just seeing what he would do and going, wow. One of the best mission statements is find out what God's doing and join in. <laughs> that's, that's what we're supposed to be, wherever we are. Find out what God is doing and join in. So it makes me think what's my witness like? How am I engaged with people around me? What what are the things that could be that I need to walk into? Because what God does here is he invites him back into that promise. He talks to him about the offspring being like the dust of the earth. And then verse 17, go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. He wants him to exercise his role in that place. He wants him to live out that promise wherever he goes. When people are going to say to Abram, what are you doing here? Well, God's giving this to me. Well, that might be a bit arrogant, but you know. (laughs) But God's called me here. I follow a God who's brought me here. I don't know what he's going to do yet, but he's brought me here. Do you want to know about this God? Have you heard about him? Do you know the sorts of things he can do? If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we live in this second chance life. We live in the capacity for God to do things. We live within the promises that have been made and demonstrated and ratified through the blood of Jesus Christ. We live in that life now. And the humbling experience of what God has done for us is tempered by the ways in which he wants us to express his life with us wherever we are. And that includes, yes, I know I've messed up, but it also includes, but my God, he's good. He wants to take us places. He wants me to know him more deeply, and he'd love to get to know you more too. And it looks different for all of us. It looks different for all of us. We have different gifts, different temperaments, but our position is the same. Children of God. Children of God called into relationship with him to love him and know his life within us. and When Jesus gathered his followers at the beginning of the book of Acts, he said they would be his witnesses, witnesses to him, witnesses of his work in their lives, witnesses of that humbling, that obedience and that giftedness of life of God. And that happens when we allow ourselves, we allow him to live in us. That there shouldn't be any doors that are barred. There shouldn't be any windows that are closed. There shouldn't be any rooms in our head that are off limits to God. Let the Holy Spirit come and shake you and shape you. Because that's the life that God's promised. The transforming life he wants to give us. That's his promise. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, I don't know how often we do that now. must be 20 times a day. (laughs) When we look at ourselves, why not lift up your eyes and ask, what does God see? Amen.